Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. My name is Trainer Chip Ritchie and I'm joined uh, one day later than normal by Azul GG. What's going on, Azul? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. Had a little bit of a rough flight back from uh, Indiana Regionals, um, but um, definitely worth the trip. It was great to see so many people. Um, and actually, it was, it was funny. Like, I felt like every time I looked down, like the row of tables, you know, when you sit down, you can look down. I feel mm-hmm. like I recognize like, at least like one person at every single table. You know, I've been playing this game for so long now. Uh, it was just kind of crazy to see how many people showed up to, uh, to that event that I knew <laughs> and like said, <laughs> said hey to or just recognize the faces from either playing them previously or, you know, um, being friends with them and whatever. So that was that was pretty crazy. But yeah, a ton of fun over the weekend. Uh, of course, got to see you because you were there as well. But um, yeah, how about you? How is your uh, your return trek? From uh, Indiana. Not too bad. Uh, left a little bit late. Normally, I like to leave like kind of like early afternoon slash in the morning Monday after regionals. But my flight for this one was like 430, I think, leaving from Indiana. So I ended up getting home at like 1030 last night. Not quite as bad of a journey home as you, though. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was still a good trip. Yeah, we are recording one day later than normal because... We were in uh, Indianapolis, and we were both traveling home Monday. Azul didn't travel home until Tuesday morning, took like a red-eye home, yeah. I believe, right? So mm-hmm. uh, we were sitting we, – we had talked about doing an like, in-person recording of the podcast Monday morning before we left. Um, but Sunday night, we were hanging out with a bunch of friends and cubing and just playing Pokemon, hanging out, chatting. And uh, we looked at each other at like 2, 2.30 and said, uh, yeah, let's just put the podcast out on Wednesday this week. So releasing one day later, but hopefully still will be a breadth of information to share with you guys, because we definitely have a lot to uh, talk about in this week's episode. Yeah, yeah. So there was not just uh, Indiana regionals, but there was also the Bill Bow uh, special event and the Joinville regionals over in Brazil. Bilbao special event over somewhere in Europe. I don't know where, uh, Spain. what country. Spain. Okay, so over in Spain, Joinville over in Brazil. I believe Sao Paulo could be incorrect on that one as well. And then Indianapolis regionals over here in America. Three event, different events. Uh, and there's also, you know, three or all decks in the finals were different as well. Yeah. Uh, across all. So six different decks across three different major event finals. Of course, we'll always have... As always, we will have guess that flavor text, and we have some new, uh, some new gimmicks to that. Some lifeline choices that we have to make it a little bit more interesting, and hopefully a little bit easier to guess what Pokemon goes with the flavor text. And then some new cards uh, from Dark Phantasma as well were were leaked, revealed, uh, whatever you want to call it, leaked for us, revealed in Japan. Um, so there's going to be some cards to look at and uh, have a <clears throat> to discuss. Some definitely ones that are definitely very interesting. Uh, for sure. And ones that I'm, I've actually been super excited for like all the leaks and, uh, you know, releases, j- Japanese releases that have been coming out recently. A lot of them look like, not like broken, like Zorak looks broken. Probably it's on the broken level, but the rest of them look like they have viability, you know? Yeah. There's definitely a lot of cards where you read them and you're like, okay, that's cool. I could see that being played in a yeah. deck, right? Or I can see something being built around that, see that being included. So, yeah, I'm always a fan of cool new cards, uh, even if it's not, like, competitive, even if it's just something that's, like, kind of like a, you know, fun little gimmick. You know, fun fun little gimmicks are fun to play every once in a while, yeah. right? So I enjoy the unique better. card design for sure. So let's kick things off with a weekend recap. So three different majors, three different results. 
Of course, Bilbao, a uh, special event, excuse me, was won by Alessand Alessandro um, Crimasoli, a.k.a. I. Caterpie, as you may know him online, a Italian um, content creator, you know, streams on Twitch, I believe, and also does, uh, you know, is on, uh, pretty big on Twitter. He won with Whimsicott V-Star, which was a deck we talked a good bit about last week yep. and actually defeated Tord Reklev in the finals, who was playing Urshifu. I actually haven't looked super closely at Tord's list yet, but I imagine it was probably pretty close, somewhat similar uh, within a few cards of what he played at um, EUIC just a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah, I think it wasn't too far off. I looked at it, but I don't really remember. Um, and I was actually surprised. I wasn't actually surprised to see Whimsicott win, especially when it was in the hands of a great player like Alessandro. So I wasn't surprised to see Whimsicott win. We talked about how good of a play we thought Whimsicott was. We were saying, you know, if you haven't played in a while, just pick up Whimsicott because it's good. And, you know, it's not too difficult to kind of get down the game plans that you need with the deck overall. So, um, yeah. So when you have a good player like Alessandro picking it up, that wasn't too big of a surprise. It was the only Whimsicott to top eight across all three of the uh, major events. And same thing with the Urshifu from Tord as well. The only Urshifu Inteleon deck to get into the top eight. I guess a lot of people were scared of the, I mean, the Hoopa Vs and the Mana Fees. Uh, I guess Dunsparce a little bit as well, but that's one that was kind of more predictable to be mm -hmm. played. So the, the Hoopa Vs and the Mana Fees. But like, I don't know. I, I barely tested the deck and I was finding myself to be in like a fine spot against Hoopa V most of the time. Uh, just because you can just like hit it hard with baby Maltrace and just set it up to be yoga looped on a future turn. You don't really ever fall behind in the prize exchange. So I thought other players would have put a lot more time into it, especially the ones that like that brought Urshifu to, you know, EUIC or even other players who had seen it were like, okay, that's cool. I want to play that. Um, and could, would have come to the, uh, you know, come up with other ideas to get around the Hoopa V or just come up to the same conclusion of that, oh, it's actually not that bad. And obviously Tor didn't think it was that bad because Tor ran and again, I'm sure Tor tested against the Hoopa and was like, oh, you can just, just like, you can just beat this. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, and it was streamed as well. That whole event was streamed by Limitless. So I think you can watch the VOD over on their Twitch channel. I watched a little bit of it in the mornings when I was getting ready uh, to go down to the venue because, uh, you know, they're several hours ahead of us. Um, but you know, I was just kind of watching it in the background. wasn't watching super closely. I'll try to go back and watch some of those games and see anything cool that happened. I know that Pedro and Stefan played on stream and I heard that that match mm -hmm. was crazy. I'm pretty sure it ended in a game one tie, um, from Eesh. what I've heard, which is kind of <laughs> crazy when something like that happens 50 minutes. Uh, and it's just one game that didn't actually even finish. <laughs> uh, I might be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure I heard someone say that. Uh, and then Joinville was won by Pedro Petrucci, who is playing Arceus Lucario V-Star. That's a card we talked about a few weeks ago, pre-EUIC. Something that I don't think either of us were super hype on. You definitely weren't. I was like, kind of like, yeah, it's like, okay, but probably won't see any play. <laughs> you were just like, this card will never see play. Hey, it won a regionals, bro. So, and then uh, they defeated uh, Renan uh, Fiorani's Mew VMAX in the finals. And that was the only Mew in the finals. And then, of course, Indianapolis regionals was won by Ian Robb's Arceus Intellian Toolbox deck, anti-meta deck, whatever you want to call it. Really just Arceus 
Intelli. I don't know. It, it's it's got a lot going on. It's kind of <laughs> just a deck that has all of the best cards in the format pushed into it, right? And then yeah. you kind of just have answers to most of the other things. We'll talk more about that as we get into that section. And then uh, Ian was able to defeat Isaiah Bradner's Arceus Beedrill deck in the finals. So of like you mentioned, of the six top two finishers, there are six different decks, three of which were Arceus variants, but all different Arceus variants. Yeah. So is this something that is a sign of a diverse slash skillful format or is that not really enough of indication? Because when we look more at like the top eight, there's a lot more of like the same stuff. It's really just a lot of Arceus, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the Arceus decks are kind of similar in how they play. Like you have just like your own little gimmick. Um the Lucario build was definitely quite a bit different. There wasn't even yeah. Charon's Care in that deck. So there was like that was that one was quite a bit different. So it'll definitely play differently in the mirror match. But the idea is you have the Lucario V Star. So instead of, you know, two hit KOing um Arceus's back and forth, you have that one hit KO option through the Lucario and you don't play your own Charon's Care. So you're really hoping, you know, they're probably not playing Arceus uh Inteleon with the water build with double Charon's Care, which a lot of people have given up on and are going to more of the dark builds with the one Charon's Care. So mm-hmm. Probably had a little bit of a read into that, and that's why they chose to play that build. But I don't know. It's not like, like a lot of the Arceus decks are like very similar, though, how, how they play in the matchups. I would say Ian Robbs is a little bit uh, different, I guess, because it's not as built around Arceus. Um, it is more of a, you know, toolbox type deck that uh, has just a bunch of options. And sometimes you don't even need to use Arceus to win games. You just right. use your Moltraces uh, or just like the the Zapdos up against other Arceus decks sometimes, depending on if they have a Dunsparce or can't find the Dunsparce or whatever. You don't even need your Arceus sometimes. You'll use it most games, I'm sure, but um, that one is definitely a little bit a little bit different as well. But yeah, it's just kind of a lot of Arceus decks, but that's kind of to be expected. Um, and then UV Max, of course, is probably the second or most popular deck in all the tournaments. <laughs> we don't know for sure yet. Yeah. We don't have the stats on anything like that, but yeah, nothing, uh, nothing too crazy. And... Um, I don't know about i mean diverse it's kind of it's kind of hard to say diverse because like i said a lot of the arceus decks they're different but they all play very similarly so it's hard to really say that it's like a diverse meta just because there's a bunch of different arceus builds yeah as i was walking the rows of the matches being played in indianapolis you know whenever i was on my off rounds when i wasn't on stream when i was you know kind of just scoping out the field seeing what players were playing trying to watch some you know good games play out um it was like a lot of arceus (laughs) almost every single table uh the way things are set up there's four players at each table and it felt like at almost every table at least two of the players had arceus in their deck at least two and usually three sometimes four of the players at a table had arceus the card (laughs) really is just that good um and I mean, yeah, to no one's surprise. I mean, I think ever since that card got revealed, people were like, yeah, this card is just going to be insane. And it's proven <laughs> that it was as good as the hype has been all along. So let's start by breaking down uh, Bilbo regionals. We'll also talk about Joinville regionals and then we'll go most in depth, I think, with Indianapolis, since that's the one that we were both at, the one we know the most about. But we definitely want to talk about the other tournaments that happen. So Bilbo special event. Is Whimsicott winning a surprise? Obviously, Alessandro, a player who I would say is very known for playing lock decks like this. He loves to play control decks, lock decks, wall decks, um, just stuff that gives you control over the game. And Whimsicott kind of fits that 
bill to the best of any other deck in the format, I feel like, right now. So not really a surprise to see that that's the deck that uh, he chose to go with, uh, but is the deck itself winning the tournament a surprise to you? I don't think so. Like, I even considered playing it myself going into Indiana, Indiana but the... We tested the the Mew matchup. It was like too close for too close for comfort, I guess. I don't know, uh, but I think it has a pretty strong uh, game plan against Arceus decks in general. And then besides that, that's kind of the meta. <laughs> like, and your Arceus matchups as Whimsicott are all very similar uh, as well. Like that's like your all your Arceus matchups are stop them from getting to Trinity Nova. Hope they don't get Trinity Charge if you go first. And that's kind of your matchups as Whimsicott. And if they get the Trinity Charge. If uh, if you go first and they get the Trinity Charge turn two, or if they get the Trinity Nova somehow set up with like E Switch or a weird Raihan if you KO a Sobble, or they get the DT down and you don't remove it, then you're going to be in a bad spot. But um, no, I'm, I'm not too surprised at all. I don't think because it's got solid matchups, especially when the meta is so dominated by Mew and Arceus. And that's really all you have to worry about is Whimsicott, and you have fine matchups into both of those. If not, if not favored against, especially some of the Arceus builds, you're definitely favored against for sure. So. I think it's too much of a surprise, I think. Uh, and especially because someone like Alessandro was playing it, like I mentioned earlier, it kind of just makes sense. Like, you know, good player, solid deck, them winning. Yeah, no real surprise, I don't think. Yeah, and Whimsicott overall, besides the win, kind of had a mediocre results throughout the weekend. There was none in the top 16 of Joinville. Uh, obviously, yeah. Alessandro won, and then there was one more in top 16 in uh bilbao and then in indianapolis riley holbert made top 16 but that was the only finish from whimsicott uh in the top 32 at least um for yeah. indianapolis regional so for the a deck that we kind of thought would be pretty solid for this weekend it really didn't have the best results outside of you know alessandro's win um yeah. especially in indianapolis specifically as well yeah, I guess I'm curious, like, just how much what was it actually played? Like, I hit one round one, um, and then two of the people I tested with uh, or played the Mew VMAX list with, but they both hit two, I think, in day one. Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe it was two total, because um, they both made day two, so I don't know how many, where, when they hit the Whimsicots, but they both hit at least two Whimsicots, and we expect, that was one of the, the one of the decks we wanted to tech for. Like, we played the training court, we played the basic psychic in the Mew deck, so... Um, we expected it to be popular enough where you could hit like two of them. They both hit two. I hit one, but if I had made day two, who knows how many more I would have potentially hit. So, um, I seem like the tech us teching for it was worth it. I mean, maybe people, maybe the deck is a little bit harder than we gave it credit for. And, you know, maybe too many people kind of jumped on it without knowing, you know, the ins and outs fully. And that was kind of a detriment to some people. Cause we definitely talked about that as far as the Urshifu deck went, but I didn't think Whimsicott was kind of in that same realm of, uh, of uh you know complexity or whatever i think it was like a pretty quite a bit more straightforward and simple simple of a deck but um that could be one of the reasons but we did see like we saw some success from some pretty solid players who chose to play it yeah uh, but i guess i'm just curious about like the overall maybe it just wasn't as played as much as uh as i think it it seemed to be maybe it just wasn't wasn't that big of a percentage of the meta and that's that's always going to be a a big factor that's why arceus is you know does so well there was like i don't know four or five of them in every top eight maybe more yeah. because it's Arceus is the most played Pokemon. Uh, of course, there's so many different archetypes. How can you kind of categorize them? That's why Mew is the most popular archetype, but you're going to hit more Arceus decks than Mew decks. 
Yeah, and maybe another reason for Whimsicott as well would be the fact that players kind of know what to expect from the deck now. Yeah. When Frank played it at EUIC, I would imagine a lot of players didn't know what to expect, didn't know what he would have in his list. Even if they knew what Whimsicott did, they didn't know what Frank was packing, right? Like the, the tool scrapper, the, you know, hammers and fans and stuff like that if you aren't expecting them. Things like the Averys, because Frank played heavy Averys. So now people kind of probably tested against whimsicott a little bit even if you weren't super teched for it you at least had a game plan whereas at euic like and that's even something frank has talked about in interviews that i've listened to two of his after euic was like i love playing decks where my opponent doesn't know what to expect and now people knew what to expect when it came to whimsicott right yeah. so that that i think also most likely had a reasonable impact on its success yeah i mean i guess we don't Alessandro hasn't released their list yet, and we don't know if they will. So maybe they have something spicy in there, right? Maybe that was maybe one of their advantages that they they continue to have with Whimsicott, like Frank had, is just they added a bunch of different cards that people probably wouldn't expect, and then were able to abuse that and you know get that same kind of advantage. Even though Frank had already done well with the deck, they had a uh, their own twists and turns on it. So that's possible. But um <clears throat> So Bilbo was also the only tournament with a top eight finish from Urshifu and Tord made finals with it. There is a little conflicting information out there on the Joinville regionals because Limitless says that the player who got seventh, Felipe Urias, played an Arceus Urshifu deck, but Pokestats has them down as Arceus Ice Rider Calyrex, I believe. So... A little conflicting information, so there's a chance there was one more Urshifu out there. Uh, but regardless, I mean, that potentially it was Arceus Urshifu, right? So yeah, it's not um, the Urshifu deck, right? So Tord was the it only one have... playing the Urshifu deck, which after it won EUIC, I would say is probably a little surprising. Even though players were probably teching for it with the Manaphys and the Hoopas, I still would have thought it to have had at least one more top eight spot. Yeah, I guess that is a little bit surprising. But yeah, it seems like nobody... I, less people picked it up than I thought they would. I thought it was going to be a little bit more popular. There will, there was still some in, in, you know, day two of Indianapolis. And I, you know, walking around the tables, I saw some. But there was definitely less than I thought there was going to be. I also thought more of the top players were, were going to commit to trying to play the deck. And that didn't seem to be the result either. And it seems like even in the other regions... Uh, it was kind of the same thing. Like Pedro and Tord played it, but that's no surprise. I don't think anyone was shocked when Pedro and Tord showed up with Urshifu, uh, unless they truly thought that the Hoopa V, you know, made the matchup unplayable against Arceus. But um, even after just a couple games I put in with the deck, I could tell that that was definitely not the case. I didn't even play Yoga Loop at the time. So um, I think Loop is kind of the answer. You need like the Loop plus a, a hit with the Moltres at some point. But that was definitely interesting. I mean, I guess it's like kind of a little bit of a surprise, but I guess not that big of a surprise. Like it definitely is scary to want to play a deck like that when mm. you just like look at the results from online tournaments and how people talk about it. everyone's got hoopa v everyone's got man even if you think your matchup against it is fine um you know one of the initial advantages of playing the deck at like uic was or even robin initially at liverpool was just that you had a massive advantage of your opponent having no clue what was going on and now that's kind of gone so now that they have the hoopa they have similar the to what v. i was just saying with whimsicott right like it's kind yeah. of the same thing so then that, I think that probably scared some people off from wanting to play Urshifu, was just kind of that fact. Um, didn't scare off Tord or Pedro, uh, and they both made day two. And, of course, you had Tord getting second, so that's no surprise. And, yeah, you knew they would be confident. They definitely tested against the Hoopa V for sure. So if they brought it, they know the matchup's fine. 
Um, and maybe just not enough people actually else got there to like test it enough to where they thought that that going up against the Hoopa Bees and the Manaphees was going to lead to, uh, you know, a fine uh, win percentage against that matchup. So a lot of people just kind of gave up on it. I could see it being the reason. And the rest of Bilbao was made up, I guess, by no surprise, by Arceus and Tellian <laughs> and View Me View Me Max Mew V Max decks. It is a little late, and we're both tired. Okay, that's all right. Uh, so yeah, no surprise really there. I don't yeah. think there was anything super spicy in any of those lists. The North American regionals, the the Indianapolis regionals, Mew V Max lists had some interesting things, which we'll talk about once we get to it, but. Before we get there, we got to cover Joinville real quick. The Lucario V-Star winning the tournament. I would definitely call that the biggest surprise of the weekend for sure, without a doubt. Yeah, I think so. I don't think there's anything like else too shocking. I guess no, the... like rogue decks made cut at anything. Yeah, Indianapolis wasn't like super shocking. I guess the the Beedrill deck from Isaiah hadn't had a big finish yet, but we saw it at EUIC. That's what the Japanese players ble brought, I believe. Yeah, I think um, Reiji so, got ninth with it. Yeah, yeah. So that's like it's not like a it's not like a new deck. It's just like oh, it, it's having its first big finish. I guess you know some people don't look past top eight to look at the, you know the results from it. They don't get For highlighted sure. quite as much. Uh, but yeah, so Lucario definitely has the it's the. It's the deck, the, the deck with the biggest surprise for sure to see it do well. I, I kind of wrote Lucario off pretty aggressively when it first got released. It's weak to Psychic. <laughs> Mew's pretty good. Yep. But they kind of took like the whole, you know, Arceus B-Barrel Crobat thing, and then they just threw Lucario in there to be your edge against the mirror match. They didn't play Charon's Care. They didn't play Palpad. So that just kind of means you cut those cards. You fill in the Lucario. Lucario can one-shot other Arceus. That's pretty good. And then you have the crowbat and pats of the peak and that's kind of like your it's not like a a super complicated or intricate plan against mew but it's kind of like all right if you don't have the boss for my crowbat i'll want to KO you next turn and when they don't it's great or if the path stops them you're still in a good spot as well uh, and then of course mew took second place there um which was uh the only final appearance for for mew as well was in mm -hmm. in joinville but uh, there were some scattered ac across the top eights throughout the rest of the uh the major tournaments yeah i believe there was three mu v max in joinville top eight and three mu v max in indianapolis top eight and two in bilbao so plenty of mu v max still did really well i definitely still think even though it didn't win a tournament it was a very successful weekend for mu v max overall um but yeah interesting that mu v max takes second for the second time at a brazilian regionals and last time in sao paulo Mew also lost to an Arceus deck. So, I don't know, just kind of a coincidence. I do feel like the Arceus-Mew match can go either way a lot of the time. You know, it kind of comes down to, you know, does the Mew player get all four Fusion Strike energies in play? If they do, <laughs> they're at a huge advantage. Or does the Arceus player, uh, you know, get to tank some hits with uh, Big Charms, Sharon's Cares, and stuff like that? If... The Arceus player doesn't let two of their Arceus V-Star get one hit KO'd. It feels like they're in a pretty decent spot in the matchup, honestly. But if Mew can just reach for those big knockouts there, I think favored. Yeah, it's pretty close overall. Sometimes it just comes out to like that cram heads or tails for a stadium to keep mm -hmm. going as Mew or whatever. So it's pretty close. Maybe you miss an overall. energy as an Arceus player turn one, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And Arceus X have like a bunch of different things they can do i mean you throw a bunch of different stuff at me a bunch of them different ones throw a bunch of different things at me like this one had the path plus crowbat v max um 
and then a lot of the other ones just have like the baby Moltres. So it's like a lot of things for Mew. That's like a, this kind of puts the strain on Mew, like with the idea of potentially 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 teching for the counters is like you know what do you tech for? So like most Mew lists just kind of go neutral and be like, okay, I'm just gonna try and be faster and more consistent and hope that works out, which makes it kind of better for the Arceus decks because now you know like the Mew, the Mew decks really don't try and tech for one. Arceus build or another so then you you don't have to worry about them having some kind of answer for your answers ever really there were a couple of uh oh sorry yeah yeah there was a couple of other interesting decks i wanted to talk about that made the top 16 of joinville Uh, now joinville was 222 players it did not have a day two i don't believe i think it was just cut to top eight um so that, I guess, is worth noting. But at 11th place, a player named Gabriel uh, Reader played Shadow Rider Whimsicott. And I imagine it's probably pretty similar to the list that Connor Fenton played at EUIC. I believe Connor got top 32 with the deck. So Shadow Rider Whimsicott. I actually missed that when we were talking about Whimsicott earlier. That's, that is one more Whimsicott that did well on the weekend. Is there merit to that version of the deck over kind of the straightforward version? The reason I think that you would maybe want to go that route is because Shadow Rider gives you a path to play that is not relying on just using Trick Wind, right? Like you have, you know, for the other random matchups that could exist for you where Trick Wind isn't useful, you have that Shadow Rider to kind of go back on. And it can eventually get to just a big one hit knockout at the end of the game, right? Yeah, I just feel like your Mew matchup has to be, like, considerably worse. I could be wrong. Maybe the early Shadow Mist kind of makes up for that. Mm, that's true. Um, but if you whiff the turn on Shadow Mist, or, I mean, even if, I don't know, if Mew just goes second and takes a two-prize KO, or just get some kind of energy down on their first turn going first, like, it might just not even matter. It's a lot clunkier. I think less consistent about, uh, of course, getting off a turn to attack with the Whimsicott, or probably even just seeing your your uh you know energy removal um but you do have like like more threat through the the shadow rider so like even against arceus when they get when they get to their trinity charge or trinity nova or whatever um it's not too late sometimes to kind of crawl back and start one hit ko in arceus with your shadow rider of course shadow rider is also weak to dark there's a lot of baby maltrace and a lot of decks (laughs) right now so i think that's i think maybe just based on that it's just like not worth it like it's clunkier and you're weak to dark. Being weak to dark is just so bad right now, yeah. thanks to Mew. And it's going to get even worse, you know, going forwards with the next set. So, yeah, I, I think it's probably not quite as good. It's like it's got some other cute things it can do, but it seems like it overall just being more consistent and faster is just probably going to be the bigger advantage with uh, the straightforward ones it got. And then one more interesting deck was uh, Otavio Guvea, who is a really good player from the region. I think a consistent day two worlds yeah. player, you know, usually just gets the auto qualify for day two of worlds. Got top 16 with Intellian VMAX, Rapid Strike Intellian VMAX. So that's a deck that I played a little bit whenever it first came out in Fusion Strike, but I haven't spent much time with it recently. Is that something you've played at all within the last like month or so? Yeah, I've actually been like like every format I consistently like try it out, and it's always been solid. Mm-hmm. It's always been solid. I think the Mew matchup has always felt really tough because them getting like like they can one hit KO a V before you can do anything, and then they can eventually one hit KO a V Max while they can just sit there and boss and escape rope up small things for mm-hmm. like turns on end. So um, that's what always been my experience with it is like you really just need a stick path and hope it sticks. But it feels like that doesn't happen 
often enough. But now with the choice belt, you do get to line up like a two hit KO on a Mew Max. Before it was a three hit KO, so they could just like sit there and then eventually psychic leap. Um, I don't know if you have their list pulled up or anything. If there's anything like no, funky it actually hasn't there. been posted yet. Okay, so yeah, we don't even have the list. So there could be something funkier in there to help with the Mew Max list. But my experience has always been you got to play like four path and then just kind of path plus Cheryl spam and hope that kind of pulls you through in the end in that matchup, which it can. And then I think the Arceus matchup actually is pretty good for the deck, though, yeah, because they can't really want to KO you, and you just play more healing. I think your healing cards, like, vastly outnumber theirs now with people going to one or zero Cheryl in their lists. So you just kind of outheal them. Uh, or Sharon's Care, yeah. So you just kind of outheal them as that. So that, that matchup, I feel like, actually is good for uh, Inteleon for sure. And then you're hoping not to probably hit up against too many Rapid Strike Malamars because that doesn't sound like a very good matchup. But that's also a deck that has kind of fallen off Quite a bit lately, so it's not really something you really just have to worry about Arceus and Mew, and that's kind of it right now. Yeah, I think in the top 16 of Bilbao, there was a Rapid Strike Malamar, but other than that, it is absent from, you know, the top placings of any of these major tournaments. So definitely a deck that has fallen off big time. And I guess before we get into Indianapolis regionals, since there was no <laughs> Rapid Strike Malamar uh, in the top 32 of Indianapolis, why do we feel like that deck has fallen off so much? Because we were talking about it a few podcast episodes ago as being a tier yeah. one deck. I mean, Avery's really gone up in play. Is, is Avery just that bad for the deck or is there other factors to consider as well? I mean, I think the Urshifu matchup will avery like urshifu with avery and yoga loop and all that stuff is pretty hard to beat i think still even if you play the mana fee mm -hmm. but i guess the the other thing that was really tough was arceus decks with avery but i feel like they'll all start to cut their avery so i actually think malamar was probably a pretty decent play for this weekend uh overall uh because like your arceus matchups aren't that bad i feel like when people talk about the malamar deck they're always like your arceus matchup is so tough but i feel like that's I, mean, I don't think that's true. And there's no way Joe and all all of them in Liverpool would have done so so well if their Arceus matchups were that bad. Yeah, I think <laughs> like, the escape rope is kind of the key thing. Yeah, to yeah, play. definitely. And people are on the two escape rope now, I feel like. And I think two escape rope might be the piece to make Malamar really solid because the issue in the Urshifu matchup becomes they get a big charm on an Arceus turn two and take a knockout. It's got 310 hit points. Your board is not very set up yet. You play your Cynthia's Ambition, and it's just like, you just don't have it. You're not going to get there. You're not yeah. going to get that one-hit knockout. So that's why you play the escape rope so you can force up either a Sobble or another Arceus V with 220 HP, just something else that you can take a prize on that turn while you still establish your board. Oh, yeah, the double escape rope super sick. I was playing that a little bit before going to Indiana. That's why I felt like, oh, wait, I feel like the deck is... Um, because I've been thinking about the double escape rope for a while. Because I was like, you definitely need to play one escape rope. If you're playing boss and not playing escape rope, that's why you've been struggling with Malamar. If you've been wondering, um, but I think double escape rope is like maybe the way to go because he's like two turns in a row of like playing around their shenanigans and specifically up against Mew, it's a really big deal. For Arceus, it can be as well. Mew can kind of play around it by putting two Mew V maxes in play, but uh, you kind of force them to get that extra piece, and sometimes they whiff, and then. And sometimes you just get the one hit KO anyways as well. Like you can just get the one hit KO on that first move you max, and then you don't even need the escape rope. So, um, but yeah, I think that's definitely something you definitely need to be playing at least one. The two is definitely cute, and yeah, I just don't, and people are cutting big charms from their Arceus decks as well. Like they're cutting Avery, yeah. they're cutting big charms. I actually think like this weekend was a pretty good time to play, um, to play Malamar overall. Like if it's gonna come back and be played, I think 
this weekend was a pretty good time. Also, like not everyone plays like the quick shooting or ways to attack with the Aquable Inteleon, which can be an annoying combo that they can set up. So if they can't do that, then once again, another reason to play it. So I think it just gets better for it because it's not on anyone's radar. No reason to really play Avery if it's not around. And yeah, big I still think your going new matchup can be kind of close, right? That's yeah. kind of maybe a, a downside to it as well, because there's a lot of different tricks the Mew player can do. Obviously, Oracorio is really solid in multiple ways, where it forces you to have one more Rapid Strike card to Oko a Mew VMAX, which is really hard to do. But also, the Mew player can choose to go second and try to attack with the Oracorio if you only have one Inke in play. So there's like a lot of different things you can try to do in that matchup that is really good for it. Yeah, it's got some shenanigans, but like I, I, I still think it's like a close match. I feel like, I feel like that's like one way people look at decks nowadays. It's like, oh, if I'm not, you know, 60-40 and everything, the matchup's bad. Like, it's like almost like fifty-fifty in a matchup is, has become bad in in people's eyes of like how they judge whether or not a deck is worth playing or it's worth taking the loss of the matchup. It's like if I'm not, mm-hmm. like, it's like it's like if I'm. I feel like whenever people talk about matchups, it's like if, if you're going fifty-fifty against, it's like that's not good enough. But you can't. You can't be able to have an advantage against everything. Yeah, <laughs> like, I feel like if you fine. can if you can build a deck to like have a really good like like a 60-40 against one of the good decks and then take 50-50s against the other good decks, like that's fine, right? That that's like yeah. the makings of a really solid play for a tournament. I feel like people are always trying to get like, you know, 70 70 30s against everything, but it's like or just like just like the idea of only winning beating something 50% of the time just isn't good enough. Well, I think that the issue for people in that becomes that the matchups right now are less polarized than maybe they've uh, they've been in the modern TCG era, it feels like, right? Where, like, you've got all these top decks that all have answers for one another or, like, all can be built to have answers for one another, whereas in the past, it was much more polarized in that, like, Night March versus Trevenant. Trevenant was going to win a lot of the time. Yeah. Night March could still cheese stuff, right? Uh, and, you know, Night March versus, like, Evil Tall decks. Like, Night March was going to do pretty decently most of the time. I yeah. Like, right? Uh, so, no, I, I think it just feels like the matchups are less polarized polarized now than they have been. Yeah, I know. I, I agree. Actually, I don't know where I heard it, but I maybe saw someone say it on Twitter. They were like... Uh, one of my problems with this format is basically that it's so matchup based. And I was like, I don't think you're playing this format. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Mew, literally, have you seen how hard people tech against Mew and then don't beat it more than 50% of the time? Or how every Arceus deck is just viable, which maybe isn't a good thing. Like, you can literally put anything in Arceus and it's like, well, I'm probably no worse than 40% win rate against literally everything, right? Um, so, yeah, there's not really, there's not those matchups where you're like, oh no, I'm playing, I'm playing up against. Uh, there's just there's no matchup where you're just like oh no i auto lose right like mm-hmm. it just doesn't exist where you just like auto lose to a deck you're like okay i can beat this maybe i have to get a little bit lucky or maybe it's like slightly unfavorable but like it's winnable right there's no matchup where you're like this is truly terrible i will never be able to overcome this matchup right like <laughs> yeah. yeah in the past like yeah there's been so many matchups like that in the past for sure where it's just like oh this is just literally not a loss okay i guess i'll pack it up and go next yeah and uh, one thing that was funny before this regionals, a uh, friend of ours, Grant Manley, who I've talked about on the podcast, I think once or twice before, and many Pokemon players obviously will know who he is. Um, he talked about leading into this regionals, how he couldn't find anything to like counter the meta. And that's what Grant always tries to do is before big tournaments is find something that can beat all of the top decks. And even if it takes losses to some fringe decks, that's what he'll play. He'll be like, I'm going to yeah. play against mostly top decks 
and I'm going to beat them. Uh, he did that, uh, I think, most famously at Virginia Regionals a couple years ago with a quad Wobbuffet deck that used Jolteon EX and Glaceon EX, and it just beat all of the meta decks. But then he got to the finals and lost to Lapras, which was a non-meta deck, which his deck just could not beat. But he, he like, like, there was nothing else in the day two field that was beating the deck that Grant had prepared for that tournament. Yeah. So that's what he always tries to find. And before this tournament, he was like, there is no quad wob for this format. And there's not going to mm -hmm. be a quad wob for most formats. Uh, but his comment was like, there's nothing that counters the meta for this format. So I can't tell if that makes it a good or bad format. <laughs> you know, if everything is 50-50 against each other, you know, it feels like, okay, like everyone's going to have a decent time playing Pokemon, I guess it feels like. You're not going to be like, oh, I just hit this auto loss or whatever. Um but yeah. at the same time, there is there. It, it's almost like there's not enough room, or there's not enough counters that exist, really. Yeah, I mean, even if it's not, even just you don't have to counter the meta. And I'm trying to think of like a deck in the past where it like hard counter the meta, and it's all of a sudden like, oh wow, this deck is just now the best deck, and like now yeah, everyone has to change. You know, you have to stop playing these decks or those decks. Mm -hmm. I think of something that like actually was like that, but it's more so like, you know, there's like a, a hole in the meta or a gap in the meta. Where it's like, oh. This was this was actually the best deck the whole time. I think we saw that with Urshifu, and I think maybe Whimsicott a little bit at UIC, right? Like it was like no one was trying to prepare for Urshifu, mm -hmm. but now that everyone's prepared for Urshifu, it's kind of gone back to the kind of more, you know, stale, stagnant. Uh, oh yeah, a bunch of fifty fifties between Arceus and stuff. Um, and maybe we'll just kind of stay here until someone. Maybe there isn't another Urshifu to that kind to kind of push the meta and move the meta along, but they didn't really change anything. In terms of the meta, which is like, oh, now Arceus decks add a couple tech cards, and that's all that changed, right? Like, no new decks came of it. It's not like, oh, now to beat Urshifu, you have to play Shadow Rider. Now Shadow Rider is good, so straight dark decks can be good. It's like, no, I'm just going to adapt my my Urshifu list, and people are going to be like, oh, I'm just going to learn how to play the matchup with my Mew list, because those two cards are so powerful, they don't care what you're playing as long as they know what they're having to go up against. So let's move on to Indianapolis and talk about Ian Robb winning his fourth regional championships with Arceus Toolbox, the Arceus anti-meta deck. And this deck really does just feel like Ian took all of the best cards in the format and put them into 60 sleeves for the weekend. You've got the <laughs> Hoopa V, the Galarian Moltres V, the regular Galarian Moltres, of course, the Intellian Draw Engine, Arceus V-Star, Galarian Zapdos to answer the other, you know, Arceus decks, if you can deal with the Dunsparce. And speaking of ways to deal with Dunsparce, he threw in the Metacham V to get some Yoga Loop plays in, uh... And Ian played really well in all of his stream games and stuff that I watched. Uh, I think I got to... I don't think I actually casted... I think he was on stream twice, and I don't think I casted either of... The, no, he... We had him on stream top four, I believe, actually, against Andrew Estrada. So I got that one. But, yeah, I mean, Ian played very well throughout the weekend from what I watched. I watched a lot of his games in the field. His top eight match was actually really cool. It came down to... Two prizes apiece in game number three. It was really, really close, and Ian pulled off a crazy yoga loop play where his opponent benched a Manaphy, and uh, Ian went quick shooting, scoop up net, quick shooting, zigzagoon ping, yoga loop, and then had energy search to go grab the fighting energy to boss his orders, a Drizzile, and knock it out with the... Metacham V's second attack to take his last two prizes in one turn. Like, really cool plays and stuff like that. And I, I watched him make a lot of crazy plays with the energy switches and stuff like that. 
really cool deck and really similar to the deck that he made top eight with in Salt Lake City. Yeah, pretty much the exact same. I mean, there's like just new, like the Metacham, I guess the biggest edition, mm. maybe the only. And the E-Switches. Yeah, the E-Switches and the Metacham. Um, and then it's just like, yeah, a bunch of different attackers for a bunch of different situations. And you just use them when you need them. Um, and yeah, obviously Ian, one of the best players in the game. Gonna gonna be able to pilot it very well. Uh, so no surprise that Ian did uh, did win, of course. Didn't really matter what he brought, to be honest. But um, yeah, decided to bring a very cool deck, which is very nice to see, right? Uh, and it's just kind of another take on, on an Arceus deck, uh, but less Arceus-focused, more options of other Pokemon to just try and take advantage of what are those those top decks, right? It's kind of like anti-meta toolbox, whatever you want to call it. But of course, you just have the super powerful attackers in Arceus and the Baby Maltrace. I think those are like the two like just consistent attackers in the deck that allow you to kind of beat anything. So like you're, you're prepared for Mew, you're prepared for other Arceus decks, but then if you go up against anything else, you have Arceus, you have Baby Maltrace, and those two combined can pretty much beat, I mean, almost anything that I feel like the format can currently throw at them. So um, yeah, super powerful deck. And then, yeah, not really many people have been playing it since Salt Lake City. Um, and then Ian just kind of pops up again. And now this time wins instead of, uh, instead of just... Uh, coming up short in the top eight like he did it's all like yeah it almost feels like players forgot that this type of deck existed where you just played like a more thin arceus line i think that's the biggest difference between this and like the regular arceus decks is he's only got two double turbo energies three arceus v star and two or sorry three arceus v two arceus v star um And, you know, we've talked about this deck pretty much every episode, I feel like, since Salt Lake City, like, just mentioned it casually as far as, like, <laughs> decks that we would like to play for a tournament. It's like, oh, yeah, this deck's really cool. I like it. I would maybe play it. But, like, that's the extent of how much we talked about it, right? Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's obviously still really good. And Ian just kind of took all the best cards and took it to win one of the biggest regionals of all time. The biggest day two regionals field of all time with 120 players making it to day two definitely feels like a really skillful deck that had answers to everything so anything any situation ian felt like he was going to go up against he likely felt like he had an answer for whatever matchup whatever his opponent could have had um so but by having all those answers i feel like the deck is maybe just like a little bit less consistent than the other arceus decks out there obviously you have a thinner arceus line uh, you know, just three Drizile, which has kind of become standard. It feels like most people are yeah. only playing three Drizile. Also, only two scoop up nets, so you get less reuses of your shady dealings. Only one sword and shield Intellion. A lot of players are playing two these days. So a little bit less on the consistency, but you make up for that in kind of the cool plays you can make and you know gain matchup points, right? Yeah, that's like one of the advantages to to like not no one's gonna know all of your answers. Um, or like your lines of stuff. So they can't really abuse the fact that, you know, you don't play that many cards or like just kind of playing, hoping that you prize something super aggressively. Cause everyone will like, you'll, they'll see the Zapdos or they'll see an E-Switch or they'll see, you know, a scoop up net and they'll be like, oh, they could have this play still. They could have that available to them. So, oh, they're going to, they could make this play happen. And then you play, if your opponent's always playing on everything you can do, I'm sure Ian had tons of situations where Ian just couldn't do some of those plays is, you know, there is so many different cards in the deck that you don't play super thick lines of everything. So I'm sure Ian's opponents constantly were playing around things that Ian couldn't do in situations. But you can you really blame them for not playing around for playing around something that they knew Ian played, but they just didn't know how much or how easy it would be for Ian to pull off. Right. Um, so like that's like a huge advantage in in you know these kind of or in these in these tournaments. You know, we're so used to like online tournaments the last couple of years with the open deck list, closed deck list. Um, 
it's like a it's a big advantage to have a deck with a bunch of stuff in it um because not only are you going to have those situations where your opponent's playing around something that you probably won't be able to do but you're having situations where your opponent plays right into what you want to do because they have no clue what's in your list as well and ian's just going to be able to pretty much punish so many situations that could arise in scenarios because of how many options they played so and then really cool deck really cool deck yeah and then isaiah bradner got second place with arceus b drill it definitely felt like it was a good matchup for ian when the finals was playing out you know ian just yeah, having the Zapdos, I think, was kind of the big thing. Getting the one-hit KO um, potential, you know, after dealing with a Dunsparce or whatever. So, yeah, Arceus Beedrill. I think that before EUIC, it would have felt really weird to play Single Strike Mustard alongside Intellian, but there was a couple of Japanese players we talked about earlier who came to EUIC with this deck and did well. Reiji, I believe, is the player's name who got ninth place with it. And I think that this list was only like two or three cards different. Uh, but six, it was like a good, like that kind of same testing group of six-ish players. Isaiah, Rahul Reddy, John Ng, uh, and a couple other players. Ryan Sablehouse joined the crew this time as someone else who played the deck. And then uh, Regan Retzlov actually won the seniors division with the deck as well. So proven solid and we didn't really talk about Beedrill very much last week i don't feel like but it's you know obviously solid as far as one prizer goes it's a little hard to get in play but you know if you're hitting into something with a double turbo or a fusion strike energy on it it feels pretty nice yeah no it's a cool deck yeah like we said yeah it was played in uic the japanese players brought it um and they did, did pretty well overall ninth place finish there from um i'm the name's eluding me now the um yeah, then Reggie. Isaiah brings it here. Yeah, Reggie. Uh Isaiah brings it here, gets second. Um, oh, sorry, oh, I think Ki- Isaiah... Kyoto is the player who got ninth place. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah. Reggie, Reggie got 30th, top 32. All right, yeah. I know Isaiah said that he was confident in the matchup, and had he drawn a little bit better in games one or three, he thinks he would have been able to beat Ian. But, uh, I mean, two great players going up against each other. Both playing Arceus decks. I think it's probably a pretty close matchup overall. I'm sure Ian was pretty confident as well. Um, I won't doubt so. either of their confidence, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. And then besides that, um, besides both those decks, uh, there were some Mews in, or three Mews in the rest of the top cut. One straightforward, you know, nothing too uh, uh, different. But then there was Michael Long and Andrew Estrada who are uh, bringing the catchers back or bringing the catchers to begin with. Like, um, like we haven't really seen a solid placement from a catcher list yet. No, catchers were like super popular before Brisbane regionals. It felt yeah. Like. like people were playing them in online tournaments, but this is the first like IRL finish. I feel like where we've seen the heavy catcher. It was playing three Pokemon catcher alongside two bosses orders uh, also played a few other interesting counts. One Marnie, one single Rotom phone, you know, just, you know, in case you needed to call for a little extra help. Two Psychic <laughs> Energy and two Training Court obviously them. prepped up for the, the Whimsicott matchup. Yeah, really prepared for the Whimsicott matchup. That's like the the one thing I think was definitely a, a little bit overkill. <laughs> I think once I get one core, like, and all the testing that we did was like way more than enough. The catchers, of course, like, I mean, it just allows Mew to be that much a little bit more aggressive i mean you can always of course get off the turn attack without them but now you get to pick your target because they also play two escape rope as well um which i i was a little surprised by because whenever i played the catchers plus escape ropes i feel like they conflicted sometimes and it made it awkward to move them both out of the hand but so super aggressive with like early 
disruption options, not just getting a turn one knockout, but also being able to like pick their target. Sometimes escape rope just gets you the target you want if they only have two Pokemon in play. But if not, they go find a catcher, get ahead, and you're just a KOing. I mean, whatever you want. So that's that. That's what makes Mew can make Mew that much stronger. They're not just getting a knockout on the turn one going second, but now they're also picking their target. Or even the, the plays that can even be more devastating is like mid game Elsa Sparkles plus a catcher heads. Yeah. All of a sudden have like that quad fusion strike energy or be knocking out a key Pokemon with Meloetta instead of Mew out of nowhere as well. So and, the catchers do open up a lot of possibilities. And I think that's the main reason for catchers because they were playing the two basic psychics. They only had one double turbo energy. So the reason that yeah. catchers, I feel like kind of fell out of favor is because they just weren't necessary because you just attach double turbo for turn. But now if you only have one double turbo, your way to power up an attacker in one turn is going to be a less sparkle plus attach. Yeah. So if you're going a less sparkle plus attach and you want to gust, it's gotta be with, the catchers and i do believe they still played the echoing horn as well if i remember correctly just off the top of my head i believe it was still in there so they were still prepped for you know that option against whatever arceus deck or whatever other matchup they could have gone up against where it could have been useful yeah no that definitely i mean that definitely seems worth it when you're playing catchers like the more aggressive option of you know getting something in play and then getting it uh getting it getting in play from the discard pile and then bringing it up it definitely makes sense if you're gonna play the catchers. I think playing the horn as well is definitely, definitely worth it. That's something I didn't include in in my Mew build, but when you're running the catchers, I think it it makes a ton more sense to include that as well. So something we wanted to talk about a little bit, and it's a little bit of like a touchy subject, I feel like, because there was a lot of discussion not only around the decks that were played to make it into top eight, but uh, and and to day two, but specifically some of the players who made it into day two. So for the uninitiated, the uninformed, there are several players who are in this day two field who have allegations against them of cheating slash shady play slash stacking slash palming cards from their deck into their hand. We're not at liberty to say what is true or isn't true nothing that we have witnessed necessarily but there are stories out there and usually stories lead to i mean especially if multiple people have stories about a certain person there's probably some reasoning behind that right um but yeah we just wanted to talk about this a little bit because while there is i don't know it's definitely just a touchy subject but while there is merit and reasoning to you know holding people accountable for their actions and especially you know people who have done bad things i think for the case for a lot of these players they were super 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 young when a lot of these things happened like in the seniors division teenagers and teenagers make mistakes man and uh you know especially you don't take things quite as seriously necessarily and you don't worry about it as much and I, I like to, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's like naive of me to think, but I like to feel like people can learn from their mistakes and grow and change. I'm not saying that necessarily all of these people who have been accused of these things have done that, but I like to think that it is possible and people can, right? Yeah, no, definitely. I think there's, I don't know, I don't, I don't know where people find the time to care so much about what other people uh, are doing or not, but um I think it's it's uh if 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 someone cheats against you call a judge um if someone gets banned for cheating then they're banned for cheating but if anyone is just showing up to play pokemon you know in a regional 
or a tournament or whatever. They're just there to play Pokemon. You're there to play Pokemon. Just play Pokemon. Don't care about, you know, what what else is going on outside of that. Like, it just, it just doesn't matter, you know? And, and whether, whatever any of these players who, like, had, you know, it, whether they was, <clears throat> sometimes, yeah, so a lot of them, sometimes they were younger uh, and it was a long time ago. Um, we're not saying that we should excuse, you know, people of Definitely cheating. Not. Definitely not. If you cheat, you cheat. And then hopefully if they if if any of these players who people think did cheat, you know, it doesn't matter how long ago it was, if they cheat again, hopefully they get caught and banned. Um, whether or not they did cheat or didn't cheat. If they never cheat ever again, they're not banned right now. And if they never cheat ever again, there's not a reason to have them banned. So there's no real reason to like it just it just creates more toxicity that is like unnecessary in the community um so i don't know i didn't it was it was a surprise to me to kind of see it come up so much and p- see how that people actually care that much kind of weird uh like <laughs> people found so much time to care about something that's so irrelevant um yeah but yeah if, if your opponent ever cheats against you just call a judge but besides that there's no reason really to worry about what anyone else has got going on if they show up to play pokemon you show up to play pokemon just play pokemon yeah and one player in specific who made top eight at this tournament um michael long is I think probably the most notable person in this group because they were banned for a few years because of alleged cheating incidents, something that happened at Memphis regionals in 2017. Many players in the community are very aware of it. If you're not, you can find some of the information out there. We're not going to be really diving into that. And, you know, from our point of view, we are saying these things that all allegedly happened, but you know, I just feel like people make mistakes, man. I don't know. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. And <laughs> it sucks. And I, you should be held responsible if you get caught. And, you know, there's maybe a little bit more nuance to that specific situation, I guess, where, you know, who knows exactly what happened. But, you know, Michael has been unbanned. So whatever happened in the eyes of Pokemon, Michael's unbanned now. So. You know, he made top eight at this tournament. He may play in more tournaments. Who knows what's going to happen? I think it's just, you know, if you play against someone who has a history of any of this stuff, you want to be mindful of it. You know, cut their deck, shuffle their deck, mitch between all of those things. But, you know, people are people, man. Just treat people good still. um, Because, you know... I, I don't know. Treat people the way you want to be treated, whatever cliche thing you want to say. <laughs> um, we're not trying to make an excuse for cheating or say that cheating is okay. Cheating is not okay. And if you do cheat, and if you if you do cheat, you should be banned from Pokemon. Um, so, yeah, just keep your eye on your opponents. But I don't know. Like Azul said, <laughs> it's hard to find the energy to uh, be too mad at you know, literal children for mistakes that they made when they were younger children. Yeah, especially with like Michael Long scenario specifically, like he was unbanned years ago. And yeah, a couple it years feels ago, like yeah. people are just kind of chasing Twitter clout. Like it's like at this point, it's like, oh wait, there's something I can, you know, go make a post about on online that'll obviously get likes. I'm gonna go make a post about it. Like why where was this, you know, three years ago? Like why do you care at this point? Like because he chose to play the game again and did well, like what <laughs> shouldn't you be mad that like Pokemon unbanned him initially then? Like, what is the, what is the, what is the deal with that? It doesn't make any sense. It's just kind of like, uh, you know, chasing some Twitter clout. <laughs> that's, that's the only way to put it. I'll do anything for clout. <laughs> so wrapping up the 
regionals discussion here. The three tournaments this weekend, where do we feel like the meta goes from here? There was definitely less Urshifu than I expected, and I think that if play, I, I think that the reason for that is pe people were just like unpracticed with the deck. I think like if players put more time into it, Urshifu could still be really good, and you can beat Manaphy for sure with uh, yeah. Yoga Loop. So, I mean, I think players, that was kind of the main thing. The Hoopa V may be a little bit more of a problem. You seem to feel like it's still not too bad. I kind of feel mm. like when I've played Hoopa in decks and I just, like, put it in play versus Urshifu decks when they put an Urshifu, excuse me, when they put an Urshifu down, it's just, like, you know, kind of fine for me. I don't know. Um, I mean, I think Urshifu, I mean, I think just watching... I don't know, maybe, maybe, uh, the thing is, like, there's so many things you have to get, you can't, like, getting Manaphy and Dunsparce and setting up your Hoopa, like, getting all of that before you can get G-Max Rapid Float is kind of tough. Um, and if you get the Manaphy, if you're not, if, they're, if you're giving them the Gale Thrust, and I think an attack that a lot of people forgot that you can just do is you can just do 100 Furious Blows. You don't have to V-Max. Yep. yep. And that was the biggest thing I found in the matchup. There's, like, holes throughout the game where you can use just 100 Furious Blows. And especially if you get off your G-Max Rapid Flow and KO the Dunsparce, like to KO the Arceus later on, you can come in with a like 100 Furious Blows or something like that. So I think the matchup like is definitely fine. The Hoopa, Manaphy, Dunsparce, like getting all of it on the second turn. And then sometimes you can just be like, all right, that's cool, all Avery. And then you just take away, what, what do they get rid of at that point? They have to pick, and then they don't know what you have on your side, so it becomes awkward. So no, I think it definitely, Urshifu survives. Um, I think, it's fair to have been like, okay, I'm, if people didn't feel comfortable, you know, going into all the, the Urshi hate that was going to be there. But now it gets awkward for everyone else. Do you cut your Hoopa? Do you cut your man? You don't want to play these cards. These cards are not good cards to be playing. But do you cut them? There was no Urshifu really besides Tord. Yeah. Obviously, if you're in Europe and you want to win, you have to play it probably. I don't think Tord and Pedro are going to stop playing Urshifu. So nope. <laughs> if, you're, if you're playing in Europe, you have to play it. Um so that's going to be the the well, a big question for all the Arceus players going forward. But I don't think anything really changes. Mew will be played. It can it can adapt in terms of maybe Catcher becomes the new list. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Real. Is Catcher the thing now? Yeah, I think it more so Mew adapts in terms of people learning the matchups. Because um, I think Mew basically has a, a win con in like every single matchup once you learn it and learn how to like set up your board state and all that stuff for most matchups. Sometimes like you know stuff like Marnie is really good as well, of course. I'm more adding basic psychic energy for Whimsicott. Um, and then for Arceus, Arceus can always adapt its list to beat, to give yourself like a 50, 50, maybe slightly unfavored against pretty much anything. So, um, I think those decks just adapt and like, we might, we'll just kind of have to wait and see if people come up with that next su surprise, like that Urshifu and the Whimsicott word. And if there is, then, you know, I think Mew and Arceus will continue to adapt, but they can have like their one-off tournaments, um, where they will do really well. Like we saw at EUIC and we can continue to see that I think for sure throughout the rest of the meta but the, i mean there's not that many more tournaments before the you know the new set drops so might not see anything too ridiculously game changing before that comes out yep we will see where the meta goes from here there are still a couple tournaments in this format i think like the weekend of new jersey there's a regionals in yeah. new jersey there's a regionals in lil um in france and then there's also a regionals that weekend in australia so it's going to be a big tournament weekend for pokemon there's also vancouver regionals which is still in this format it's kind of ridiculous how many tournaments are going to be in this format i kind of wish they had given us at least a little bit more of the astral radiance format before uh naic but uh, you know here's where we are yeah so yeah we don't get a whole ton with astral radiance uh, but of course that could be our world's format as well it That'll probably be like big, will be. Yeah. 
that'll be something we'll definitely talk a little bit more on as we know for sure or as we get closer to worlds but that'll be a huge there'll be a huge gap between naic and worlds where there'll be people will be cooking for sure and then there comes a, comes the question do you play it day one or do you save it for day two um that's going to be a big thing as well if you're going to play it for day one or save it for day two because that'll be uh, an option or if you're you know you got a testing group with a mix of both of some players in day yeah. two some players in day one are you coming up with two decks you know the day one players they got to earn the day two deck or like what is going to be the move <laughs> there with that because if you got something really good you don't want to play it on day one because if some people see it all of a sudden some decks could come out or some people are going to try and play it themselves you don't want to leak you know the world's winning deck you just want to be playing something good enough to get to that day too. So that was a thing um, at uh, 2019 Worlds, right? The Limitless Crew, because there was a couple players playing in day one. I think Jesper and uh, Philip Schulz were both playing yeah. in day one, and they all played the 18 Fire Energy Ability Zard with the Victini in day two. But in day one, they just gave them regular Ability Zard with, uh, I think it was like the 12 Fire Energy plus Fiery Flints, right? So it's like they played the crystals, same deck, yeah. but it was like a little bit worse version than what they had in the back, right? Yeah, it seemed like that. It seemed like, but then actually, the regional after worlds, that's the, they played the fire crystal list, and that's what Robin yep. and them played at that at that build. So maybe they thought that build was better for how the meta shifted. Um, but yeah, they kept yeah, yeah. Philip got the I think Philip got the nerfed version of the deck <laughs> to try and get through day one, if I remember correctly. I know yeah. he's playing ability zard. I don't know if it was the one that uh, Tord and Tord played in uh, day two or not, but. Um, and yeah, they don't. They didn't play the Mew deck either, which is what Robin ended up running was the Mew deck. So, uh, but yeah, that's one of those things, and I think it definitely is, especially with these these bigger testing groups and like um, where that is something you definitely want to apply to your your choices. If you have some players of your testing group in day one versus day two, you know, second best plays it seems like a pretty safe option. You know, especially if the goal is to win worlds, you want to be keeping the best of the best for uh, for that next day. Um, but yeah, I don't think uh, uh, too much is going to shift up with the meta until we get Astral Radiance, and then we'll have. Yeah, we might not have too much to uh, too many tournaments with that. We we'll definitely have Milwaukee, NAIC, and we don't know how it'll affect Worlds at all or not. Yeah. Okay, now it is that time. Everyone's favorite segment. Guess that <laughs> flavor text where one of us picks a bit of flavor text from a Pokemon card. You know, the little tidbit at the bottom that gives you a little bit more detail about the Pokemon and the other host of the cast has to guess the flavor text guess what pokemon that text belongs to we are now on episode nine and after eight episodes azul has gotten one correct and i have gotten one correct so what we've decided to do is add a lifeline function to this so uh what we were doing in the past was just if you got it right you got one point but we're both sitting at one-to-one -one at this point, so we wanted to make it a little bit easier, give ourselves a little bit better of a chance to get there. And so we have three different lifelines to choose from. If you get the flavor text, if you guess the Pokemon without any of the lifelines, you get four points. If you use one, you get three points. If you use two, you get two points. And, of course, if you use all three uh, of the lifelines, you only get one point. But I think getting one point is better than getting none. So the three different <laughs> lifelines we have to choose from are what set is the card from, what stage is the card, and read an attack name. Something to note, though, for sure, is that many of these flavor texts are shared by Pokemon across multiple different sets. Like, for example, in Episode 1, the Pokemon was Score Bunny. There are multiple Score Bunnies from multiple sets with the 
same flavor text. So it can get a little tricky, but this should helpfully help us help us whittle it down a little bit more. So with all that being said, Azul, are you ready to guess that flavor text this week? I'm ready to attempt, yes. <laughs> okay. Thought to be one of the first Pokemon to live in harmony with humans, it has a placid disposition. What does placid mean? I actually don't know. I can Google it real quick for you if you want me to. All right, I think yeah. it just means like plain. Thought to be what one of the... Okay, placid means not easily upset or excited. Okay. Kind of just neutral. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Can you read it again real fast? Yeah. Thought to be one of the first Pokemon to live in harmony with humans. It has a placid disposition. So I think I've heard this one before. Now I'm trying to think of a Pokemon that... I'm just trying to think of like the show now, the animes. I'm trying to think of Pokemon that are like walking around with poke with with uh with people. I can't really think of like any particular placid disposition. <clears throat> I don't know why, but for some reason I'm thinking of Pseudo Wudo. <laughs> and I think I've actually heard something very similar to this one before. So maybe I've read a Pseudo Wudo what's it called thing? Um it's Flavor text? Flavor text, yeah, and it's, for some reason, Pseudo I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think of, like the animes and the movies, and trying to think of like Pokemon that are gen right, regularly hang out with humans, or even like the video games. Would you like to use one um, of your lifelines? Yeah. What uh, what stage is the card? It is a basic. <laughs> what is an attack on the card? And go all the way in. Lead. Flip a coin if heads. Search your deck for a supporter card. Reveal it and put it into your hand. Shuffle your deck afterwards. Wait, I know I know what that attack is. I mean, many Pokemon have Hold had that up. attack. No, but this is the one. I, <laughs> this is now, the now, one. So I think Xerneas, I'm pretty sure, has a lead attack. I don't know why Xerneas is living with humans. So that doesn't really make a whole ton of sense. It's definitely not Sudowoodo. Sudowoodo does not have a, an attack called lead. I mean, that's the only one I can think of in my head right now is Xerneas. Is it Xerneas, though? It's some fairy Pokemon that has the attack lead. The last one isn't going to help me at all, because I don't know sets very well at all. So I don't think asking what the card set is actually going to change what I'm thinking. So I'm pretty... but All right, I'm just going to go with Xerneas. It is not Xerneas. It is Skiddo. Another Ooh. X and Y Pokemon from X and Y base set, specifically 70 HP grass type Pokemon with lead and tackle. It is thought I to be one of the do. first Pokemon to live in harmony with humans, and it has well, isn't that a placid disposition. It evolves into Go Goat. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't think I would have ever got that. I don't think I would have ever got that. I would have been surprised if you got it, to be honest. <laughs> it was maybe a little bit of a hard one. But maybe one of you playing along at home was able to get it correct. If you're watching on YouTube and you got it right, let us know down in the comments. We'd love to see any uh, of those who were able to guess Skiddo correctly. Congratulations to you because you are smarter than Azul. <laughs> All right, let's move on from my failure of guessing the flavor text. Got some new cards to take a look at and and talk about today. Um, and I'll, I'll kick it off with the first one. We got 
Hang on, actually, I haven't read this one yet. Um, Volo. And these are all from Dark Phantasma, which should be part of our fall set, right? Yes. Theoretically. Uh, choose one of your bench Pokemon V. Discard that Pokemon and all cards attached. Oh, no, no. I, I, read this. I, guess, I guess I just didn't know the name. So this one I think is pretty good. I mean, you can get rid of stuff like Crobat or Luminion or what I think it'll probably work best with is some kind of some kind of way of abusing that to kind of heal yeah. your Pokemon effectively, I think is where it would work best. Yeah, this and reminds me a lot know. of Giovanni's Exile, obviously, yeah. which kind of had a similar effect. But the condition of Giovanni's Exile is that the Pokemon could not have any damage counters on it. But I believe Giovanni's discards two of your bench Pokemon, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. this only discards one, but it can be damaged. And I think that is probably going to be the best function of this card is to take deny your opponent prize cards pretty much like you know retreat a heavily damaged arceus or you know zoark whatever it may be that you're playing alongside this and just discard it from play so that your opponent can't take those two or three prizes or whatever it might be i think this card is like okay i don't think it is like amazing i don't think it's like something that most decks will play i think it is something that some decks will play in certain metas even like i don't even think it's necessarily something that's decks will play in every single meta i think it'll be kind of like a card that can come in and out similar to like how acerola kind of functioned i guess uh whenever it was legal though this is quite different from acerola as you discard pokemon versus um versus healing them picking them up whatever getting the cards back so i don't know it's a cool card i think it will probably be played at some point for sure i think you definitely set up some like you could like build a deck around this with some very efficient v pokemon and just kind of loop them with like sencino or b barrel or something um kind of make it like what you, people try to do with like sharon's care with arceus but pick an attacker chinchino will rotate by the better. time this thing comes out though well, his b barrel will have to take over then but yeah um it might be rotating too jeez that's not the worst thing ever though i'm kind of sick of intellion <laughs> i think a lot of people are mostly jizile actually <laughs> everyone's ready to move past Trisile. all right next card here we've got magnezone v star the only ultra rare that we'll talk about today it's got 270 hit points a lightning type v star pokemon with the magnet grip attack for a lightning and two colorless it does 180 damage and then you get to search your deck for up to two item cards reveal them and put them into your hand then shuffle your deck and then it's V-Star Power is Electro Star. This attack does 80 damage. Or sorry, this attack does 90 damage to two of your opponent's benched Pokemon. And it costs two Lightning Energies to use it. This card feels not that good to me. I think that the V-Star Power is, like, not necessarily bad. Especially if this was to be played alongside, like, the Drizzile engines that exist right now. Though this will come out after Drizzile rotates, and then also Manaphy will exist as just kind of an answer to it. I think this card is like not that good, to be honest. Yeah, it doesn't seem great. It seems like they have a lot of hate for Drizzile a little bit too late. <laughs> this one, <laughs> this and the Greninja Radiant have the exact basically the exact same attack, which is ninety to two Pokemon. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of Drizzile hate coming a little bit too late. Uh, and yeah, there's a the Manaphy to back it up. But yeah, the attack is like. You two-hit KO everything. I think one of the biggest things that a lot of decks need the option of, or if you don't have the option of this, you're just going to be worse than decks that do, which is the ability to want to KO V Pokemon, 
which 180 when you have a DTE to pull off the attack most likely is doing 160, which two hit KOs all the V stars and V maxes, but you're never one hit KOing any Vs. So like you lose a lot of pressure. And that's why like Arcus Unless you get plays. like three basic like you you can one hit yeah. KO Vs with like your second one of these, maybe, but like you're likely yeah. gonna be using DTE to power up your first one. Exactly. And that's where you want that's when you want the option to KO the V, right? And that's why Arcus decks yeah. play one choice but one goon, yeah. because that option is so powerful. Um, and can really just take over, allow you to take over games. Like, and maybe the format slows down enough where like finding those two item cards is going to be good. And also, Marnie rotates as well with rotation, right? So, yep. Um, does your opponent really want to play Judge and Roxanne won't be triggering until you've drawn three prize cards. So maybe you can find enough good item cards that you know keeps your uh, Magna Zones flowing and gives you some kind of advantage. But yeah, it doesn't seem great. But um, it's also weak to fighting, which is never a good weakness to have, I nope. think, ever in the Pokemon trading card nope. game. <laughs> so. I have no no high hopes, but it's a cool card, I guess. And then the next card is Radiant Steelix, which I think has like maybe one of the most ridiculous attack effects <laughs> that I've ever seen on a card, like ever. Like <laughs> this. Anyway, all right, let's just read it. First attack, so it's a 170 HP Radiant Pokemon. It's a metal type, so Radiant Pokemon, similar to Gold Stars, you can only have one Radiant Pokemon in your deck. And its first attack for a colorless is Energy Stream, which deals 20 damage, and then you attach two Metal Energy from your discard pile to this Pokemon, up to two Metal Energy from your discard pile to this Pokemon. And then its second attack for two metal and one colorless is Finishing Rend, which deals 60 damage. And then you discard cards from the top of your deck until you have one card left in your deck. This attack does 30 more damage for each energy card discarded in this way. Azul, this card is just outrageous. Yeah, it's just, I says, but these are the kind of cards that we like to see. Even the Magnezone has like a, it like looks like it could be okay. And this card, it looks like, I actually didn't know it did 60 plus. I thought it was 30 times. So this is actually a lot more damage than it was, I thought it was doing. So actually, I think this could damage. be used. No, 60 more damage. I thought it was 30 times. Oh. Not 60 plus 30. So I was like, you have to get rid of 10 yes, to yes, get yes, to like yes. 300. But actually, that like that makes it a lot more viable. You know, you get an energy, um, whatever it's called, to put five energy back in your deck, recycler. and then yeah, maybe double recycler, and then you just take the last one hit KO, and you just win the game. Um, so I could actually see, yeah, pretty ridiculous like attack overall. And I like how they kept just left a little bit of RNG on the card with the attack. It's like, well, what if your last metal energy <laughs> that you need is your last card in the deck? Yeah. So <laughs> just enough to make it suspenseful when you're flipping through your deck. Um, but. <laughs> If a metal deck is good, like with the Alga or something, I mean, you get like a free turn with the Alga's V Star power into this that one it KOs anything. Like, sounds like a pretty good combo to me if you can set it up. So, I mean, it's a cool card for sure. Even if it ends up being bad, these are the kind of cards I want to see more of because it's just intriguing. You stop and you look at it and you think about it. We need more cards that make you do that because it feels like there's too few these days where you stop and you look and you think about the card. But, also, uh, I'm gold excited for Steelix. it for sure. Also, Gold Steelix is just sick. So, that's, yeah. that's bonus <laughs> points there. And 170 HP on a on a basic Pokemon like that is also like yeah, um, it's big. I mean, it's worth one prize card. Uh, Prism Prism Star vibes for sure. Um, next one is the uh, the Misfortunes Sisters. Look at the top five cards of your opponent's deck supporter card. Uh, you may discard any number of item cards you find there. Your opponent shuffles the cards you didn't discard back into their deck. Um, so everyone looks at this immediately, thinks control or stall or mill or whatever. 
Um, actually, Sander tweeted that it didn't seem like they were that big of a fan of this card in Control Decks. But I think this opens up like a whole... Whenever I'm trying to come up with Control Decks personally, I'm like, I have no active win condition when I'm Berserker trying to like do a Berserker lock or when the new Luxray V comes out and you take the trainer cards out of their hand, you can trap their current board state, but their top deck... They'll eventually top deck something. But if you have like an active mill condition while you're trapping their hand, I feel like you could definitely put your opponent in a situation where after you play like, you know, four, five, six of these, they can't win the game anymore. Um, so I actually am excited to definitely try this card out with some uh, with some control type decks. Yeah, especially alongside like a stalling strategy where you're trying to stick a Galar mine in play and bring something active yeah. that can't retreat. One of the ways they can get that Pokemon out of the active spot is switch another way is escape rope and another way is scoop up net and those three cards are all item cards that you can discard with this so you can take away your opponent's potential switch outs i think this card will be like an okay one or two of in some mill decks but i don't know i mean it also but sometimes the thing about control we call it like a one or two of but sometimes that one or two of is what breaks the deck right like it's yeah. what it's what your strategy is like chip chip ice axe you only play two of it but that was like the strategy was to chip chip lock your opponent you just need like enough or at least you need enough active win conditions or one consistently active win condition uh, also i didn't even think about this this could put durant it was kind of on the map but this could put him back on the map yeah. Um, I think it depends the where the rotation hits. So like Durant, I think is still going to survive because it probably oh, will be have. battle styles on. But now that I think about it, I think Gallarmine is going to rotate. But we have twin energy still. I think twins the most important one. No twin, around. we lose twin. Mm. You can still maybe make it work. Durant was kind of cooking a little bit with just the four twin no DTS before. So I mean, just like you know, an extra eight cards over like three turns could be enough. I guess still got B barrel for a draw engine. Might work out. And then the final card to mention that we found interesting was the Hisuian Gudra. And I actually think this card is not bad at all. It's a dragon type stage two, which definitely takes it down a few notches when you look at that, you know, no, number two in the top left corner. 160 hit points, and it has the steel shelter ability. Ignore all damage done by your opponent's Pokemon V's attacks to your basic Pokemon that have any metal energy attached. So this reminds me a lot of Plasma Kling Clang, I believe from like Plasma Blast, I want to say. Plasma Freeze, <laughs> maybe one of the Plasma sets. Uh, but it has something very similar for Pokemon EX. And that card was actually not too bad, though I will say it did prevent damage done to all Pokemon that had metal energy attached, not just basic Pokemon. Yeah. So... That is probably the main drawback to this card is like you set it up, you put a metal energy basic Pokemon in the active, and then your opponent plays boss's orders and brings up the Gudra and knocks it out. Yeah, so it's definitely one of those decks where like you have to be chaining out the Gudras. Like that's like the point of the deck. Comboed with some kind of decent basic Pokemon. It doesn't even have to be a metal Pokemon as well. It could kind of right. be anything. You just need a metal energy on it. So you could kind of put this with anything. And the, the goal of the deck is to just kind of chain out Gudras while doing some kind of relevant damage. You have to make sure you're not losing to like an Aqua Bullet from an Inteleon or something, I'm sure. Um, oh, I guess this will maybe be out after Inteleon's gone. So, yep. you know, something like that, though. So, but actually, I know I really like this card. Um, it's a stage two. It's a little bit difficult to get out, but the the effect of the ability is super powerful. So 
I'm excited to see what what can come up with this. I think there's definitely a ton of viability for this to to be in a deck and be uh be pretty powerful overall for sure. So I'm I'm excited for this one. This one is all, this is probably the I mean out of all of them I think it's the one I'm most excited for. I think it has the most uh most potential to be you know tier one tier two deck material for sure. I guess Vol- uh, Volo also as well. I think that one is. I don't know. You seem pretty excited to, for uh, for Steelix to me. So, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a cool card. I like it, but I don't think it's going to be that. as far as tier one goes. No, I, I get yeah. what you're saying for sure. Yeah, I mean, those might make it. It's been a while since there's been like a stage two like this that's done well. Actually, I I can't. What what's the last stage two that was even good? I mean, Decidui, I guess Decidui, I guess counts. Before that, I guess Obstagoon. But we're talking about you know a year probably since those decks have been decent yeah i almost don't even count those as stage two decks they're just kind of like pokemon was like how do we make a waller i was like similar to the hoopa where how do we wall v pokemon but make it balanced i think that's what obstagoon well obstagoon yeah, was, was like tagged like walling tag teams yeah so same thing how do we wall cards and make it balanced it's like, oh put it on a stage two right and the yeah. decks weren't terrible right so they, they got it right right like the situation wasn't bad um but you had to put on a stage two to make it uh you know not too good and i also think of them as like stage two decks because of that it's just like it's just the way to balance that kind of attack and ability more so than anything so that covers all the new cards coming out from dark phantasma the ones we found interesting at least feel free to let us know in the comments if you're watching on youtube what you're most excited for from these new sets. Also, Astro Radiance is coming out very soon. Azul and I both got sent product from Pokemon to open up on our personal YouTube channel slash live streams. I think Azul usually streams. I usually do a YouTube video. So yeah. we're both excited for that. I know it's going to be a really fun set. There's some cool cards that we're both excited for. So you guys are definitely going to want to check out Astro Radiance because... Yeah, I mean, any any new Pokemon set's a lot of fun. I, I think I've heard you say before, whenever people ask you what your favorite format is, you always say the next Pokemon format, right? Yeah. It's definitely what I like to say because, uh, I mean, yeah, I've already played all the current ones, so <laughs> hopefully the next one is just better or at least different. Sure. Well, that is going to wrap up our episode this week. Thank you all so much for listening. And if you enjoyed and you're listening on a podcasting platform, please leave us a rating. It only takes a few seconds and it is the quickest and easiest way to support the podcast. Help us get discovered by new listeners. Thank you so much for the support. And if you are watching on YouTube, don't forget to click that subscribe button. Drop us a comment. Let us know what you're thinking of the podcast. What of those cards is your favorite? What deck you're playing right now? Did you get the guess that flavor text right? Let us know. We want to hear it. And you can follow myself and Azul over on Twitter at Azul underscore GG at Trainer Chip. And then you can also follow the podcast at Uncommon underscore Energy. Yep. Thanks for the support, everyone. I know I was personally, and Chip probably a little bit as well, a little rambly, but we're both really tired from... We are both very tired. The, <laughs> the weekend's so a little rambly. Uh, Azul but, didn't um, sleep, and it's 2.45 a.m. for me, so... <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the episode, even though it was a day late. But we'll be back next week with them, as always, Tuesday mornings at 7 a.m. Eastern. And uh, talk to you then. Peace. Thanks for listening.